This is Fundraising Radio, and today's a guest speaker. We have Alan Fisher, member and angel investor at Sand Hill Angels. And this episode, we'll talk about different angel groups, how do they compare, how do angel groups cooperate. And since Sand Hill Angels is a pretty big angel group in uh, Silicon Valley, we'll compare Silicon Valley angel groups and angels in general to other big C's in the United States, specifically to my recent speakers, Tech Coast Angels. So, Alan, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Sandhill Angels. Well, thanks very much for having me. My background is software development. I'm a software engineer, computer scientist, so I uh, usually write code for a living. Uh, more relevantly, though, I'm one of these Silicon Valley serial entrepreneurs that you read about uh, from time to time and have uh, co-founded a series of companies over the uh, years. In particular, I co-founded and took two companies public in the 90s, one in the electronic document management space and the other was an early e-commerce company. More recently, I've been working in fintech, uh, financial technology. Mm-hmm. That's really that's really interesting. Fintech is something that's of huge interest to me, specifically from the legal side of you. But let's let's talk a little bit about Sandhill Angels first. What what does it do? What does Sandhill Angels invest in? Sure, uh, Sandhill Angels is a Silicon Valley based uh, angel investing group. We have about 135 members, and we are a broad spectrum investor. Uh, we invest in enterprise companies, kind of what you think of as traditional Silicon Valley hardware and software internet companies. We invest in consumer companies uh, that have consumer products, uh, and we invest in medical technology companies as well. So pretty much across the board, uh, we tend to find our sweet spot uh, in early revenue stage companies, so companies that are have had kind of the first two hundred and fifty thousand to maybe a million dollars in trailing revenue. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. And let's talk about how investments are actually made in Sand Hill Angels. So, for example, in Tech Coast Angels, I know that uh, for a project to go up the chain to you know to this uh, to to even to the due diligence part. At least three members, I think, in San Diego, at least three members have to be interested in that project. How does this work in Sand Hill Angels? Uh, We probably have a similar uh, process. At the end of the day, it's a sales funnel, if you want to think of it that way. Uh, All deals start by being uploaded into an application we use called Proceeder that's uh, widely used by angel groups. And our members uh, then review and rate those deals. And then we have a couple of screening conference calls where interested members get on the call and we discuss those deals and then basically take a vote as to which ones to invite in to formally pitch us uh, in normal circumstances in a face-to-face pitch meeting, uh, an evening uh, dinner that we host uh, uh, once a month. Uh, Now we do that via Zoom, but uh, this fall I'm sure we'll resume back to our uh, normal in-person uh, meeting. We typically invite uh, between six to eight companies to formally pitch us uh, each month, and that's typically out of about 40 to 70 companies that submit to us each month. And then once we have those uh, uh, pitches, 
we kind of vote with our wallets. Uh, we have to have a minimum of three members and $50,000 of expressed interest in order to invite that company in for a second and final round of mm -hmm. presentation to us. Uh, and in the uh, interim between that first pitch and the second pitch, uh, we will have done uh, a certain amount of due diligence on the company so that uh, our questions to the company can be much more involved uh, and uh, detailed based on the due diligence that we've done. Mm -hmm. Got it. So how many, you mentioned that you get enormous number of uh, requests basically for funding and how many portfolio companies do you have at the moment? Oh, uh, I'm not even sure I know that uh, number. Uh, Sandhill Angels was founded in 2000, so we're a 20-year-old organization. So uh, the number of active portfolio companies measures in you know the many hundreds. Uh, on a typical month, uh, we'll invest in uh, about three new companies. So out of the eight that present to us, typically uh, two to four, so say on average three, uh, actually get investment from us. And then, of course, we also invest in follow-on rounds of those portfolio companies. And then we also invest in um, series A, B, and C deals that are brought to us by venture capitalists. And then we also, uh, from time to time, invest in VC funds as, as well. So in addition to uh, investing in normal startups, what you think of as a traditional role of an angel investor, uh, we do also invest in uh, companies raising follow-on rounds as well as a few VC funds. So uh, that uh, those combined tend to triple the amount of money that we actually invest. Mm-hmm. And that is something that's really interesting for me. So I actually had a couple uh, VC firms that are raising at this moment uh, present on fundraising radio, and they were telling about their process of fundraising. And it sounds so much harder than fundraising for startups. Can you tell me how do you choose? What's the difference between investing in a regular startup and investing in a venture capital fund? Sure. Like, most angel groups, our members make their own individual decisions, and uh, while we pool our investment so that you have one entry on the cap table or one entry uh, in a fund's list of investors, limited partners, uh, every angel does make his own individual decisions, so it really kind of depends on that individual member as to what criteria uh, they use to evaluate. In my case, I tend to look or venture capital funds that have either proprietary deal flow, they're getting deals from places that other VCs typically don't source from, or they have a unique perspective uh, in terms of how they invest. And so, for example, one of the venture funds that I've invested in, uh, Align Capital Partners, looks for very capital-efficient uh, companies that are going to raise one and only one round of venture capital because they're, they're very good at deploying that uh, capital and don't require a lot of capital. Uh, other funds like uh, Right Side Capital Management use a statistical investing process. So they uh, look for teams with certain characteristics and uh, certain characteristics in, in terms of uh, revenue traction that these early startups have. And so they typically uh, make an investment uh, within one to two weeks of being uh, contacted. So those are two very, very different approaches that I'll just uh, use to illustrate kind of a proprietary way or unique way 
uh, other than just saying, well, we have our own individual networks and people send us deals. Mm-hmm. So I, I tend to look for something that, that really is unique uh, out there. Absolutely. So let's move on to actually comparing uh, Sand Hill Angels to some other big cities. So, for example, what do you think is the major difference between Sand Hill Angels and, for example, Tech Coast Angels, which is prevailing in Southern California? Uh, that's a great question. Both groups are similar in a lot of ways. We both focus on investing in what I call early revenue companies, like I say, the you know first quarter million to a million dollars in revenue. But uh, Tech Coast Angels and Sand Hill Angels uh, differ, at least in one material aspect as well. Uh, Sand Hill Angels is a single uh, chapter entity, meaning we, we have one group we meet in, you know, one location. Tech Coast Angels is a multi-chapter organization that has a half a dozen chapters mm-hmm. uh, or groups of members spread greater Los Angeles metro area. So they have uh, groups in Los Angeles, San Diego, Orange County, and, and so forth. In that respect, Tech Coast Angels is similar to another that nationwide organization called Angels, uh, which has, uh, I don't know, eight or ten chapters uh, now around the country. What we found, though, at Sand Hill Angels is that while uh, we are in one location, we do have members also from around the uh, uh, country. Uh, they typically join us by, by video. Uh, but we have members in New York City, in Florida, Arizona, as well as uh, uh, the greater San Francisco uh, Bay Area. The other interesting thing that we've seen at San Hill Angels is we certainly get a fair amount of deal flow from uh, the Silicon Valley area, but we get at least as much from outside of uh, Silicon Valley, you know, every place from, uh, you know, New York City, Texas, uh, uh, down here in Arizona, uh, Los Angeles, Seattle, we have, and even internationally. So we have uh, companies come to us from from all over the U.S. and increasingly from around the world because mm-hmm. they can get access to capital in Silicon Valley. That's more difficult to get access to in uh, other parts of the country. Got it. So that's that's pretty interesting that you are. I think uh, San Francisco is becoming more and more global instead of local, opposed to some other cities like Los Angeles. Uh, but here I wanted to discuss this. Part that you know we'll see uh, in this show, Silicon Valley, uh, where you know venture investors compete with each other, where they're fighting for great deals. What can you say about competition in in uh, the angel investment field? Do angel investors compete, or rather, they you know cooperate on everything? You'll find angel investing groups are much more cooperative uh, with each other. Angel groups typically invest prior to the first VC round. And unlike VCs, angels and angel groups are trying to purchase a 10 or 20% ownership stake in a company the way a VC is. So if one VC buys a 20% stake in another VC, the second VC effectively misses out on that deal because he too is not going to be able to acquire a 20% stake. Angels, on the other hand, are investing early on in a company's life uh, span uh, and typically not at the same time. So as companies move towards their first professional VC round, typically a seed round, they're taking investments kind of piecemeal from individual angels, from angel groups, maybe a family office, but typically uh, angels and angel groups. Uh, so 
uh, since we're not trying to acquire a particular ownership, we're more than happy to syndicate uh, good deals with other angel groups. Uh, at Sand Hill Angels, we do that uh, regularly with Coast Angels, Band of Angels, which is another Silicon Valley-based group, Sierra Angels, which is a Sacramento-based group, and so forth. That's that's really interesting to see this non-competing environment in angel investing. And how many investors, how many angel groups usually participate in one uh, fundraising round? So you said that usually they don't invest at once, you know, at one round. Uh, but in total, how, how many angel groups can you see on the cap table of a startup? It, it's really common to see two to four or five angel groups in a startup, uh, uh, you know, during those early finance things. And in fact, I'm uh, an investor through Sandhill Angels in one startup now that we're syndicating with Tech Coast Angels and also taking out two Sierra Angels. So this is a, a fairly common uh, process. Uh, like I say, usually it's the case that we don't all invest at the same time as part of a coordinated round. That's usually not how early startup financing occurs. It occurs piecemeal, uh, kind of in bits and pieces. And so once one angel group makes an investment decision to proceed and funds that company, then they'll take that out to other angel groups and continue the process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it. And let's discuss... Uh, the investing methods a little bit. So right now, one of the major investment type that's uh, especially on the early stages the investors are doing, it's they invest through safes. Why do you think it's so popular? And you can actually see safes even on later stages. So uh, on round A, round, I'm not sure if I have ever seen on round B safes, but I'm pretty sure that happens. So why do you think are safes so popular? Uh, safes or simple agreement for future equity and convertible notes, I'll just call them uh, convertible notes, uh, is really the way that early stage companies raise money. As I mentioned earlier, that financing tends to occur uh, piecemeal, you know, one financing after another after another, but in much smaller amounts, whereas a priced round, uh, like a seed round or a series A, B, and C and so forth, require a couple of VCs to come together and they do a priced round at a specific valuation that closes on a specific day. All the money goes into the bank on a specific day. That's not the the journey of a, a company that's uh, you know just a few months or a year, year and a half uh, old at the very first revenue. Uh, so convertible notes in general and safes really lend themselves well to that sort of um, piecemeal financing where you collect a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars from one angel group, and then four or five months later, you get another hundred K from a second angel group or more angels and so forth. The convertible note safe note mechanism allows incremental financing, whereas a price round is really much more structured uh, for a simultaneous financing where you have everyone closing at uh, exactly the uh, at the same time. That's that's a perfect answer. I love it. And here I want to move on to actually to go back to the beginning of our interview where you mentioned that you're receiving you know, hundreds and hundreds of pitch decks every month. Uh, what do you think? Uh, and I imagine that, uh, first of all, actually, I was curious to give feedback on each pitch deck that you get because... Uh, for example, uh, the president of Tech Coast Angels in uh, Orange County said that they actually give specific feedback on why they don't want to invest in or what's missing on the pitch deck to each application that they receive. Do you do the same thing at Sand Hill Angels as well? 
Uh, we provide that feedback a little bit differently because we do get uh, so many deals from not only North America, but around the world as well. It's a little mm-hmm. bit difficult to have uh, individual conversations with each applicant. But what we do is once a month, we run a practice pitch night. We call that RAW, and it follows a very uh, regular format. Companies have five minutes to present with no slide decks, so mm-hmm. it's just the uh, the entrepreneur talking, followed by five minutes of Q&A with the angels, uh, followed by five minutes of feedback where you just have to listen and take it. And that's where we give you our raw, unfiltered uh, feedback. This is the type of feedback you're never going to hear a VC tell you uh, or, in general, an angel group uh, tell you. This is the sort of feedback uh, uh, we discuss amongst ourselves, but but not uh, with the potential uh, uh, investee. And, and that turns out to be a really great way to help companies practice their pitches, but also hear what our kind of unvarnished thinking is after just listening to you talk for five minutes and then answering our, our uh, questions. Uh, so that's how we provide feedback to, to folks. That's, that's a really interesting approach. Is that, are these talks somehow recorded or is it only available to people who are joining live? Uh, no, all of these are recorded, whether we do them in person, which is what we did uh, prior to March or now that we do these virtually with a, a Zoom call. Uh, they're all recorded, and so you can uh, watch your pitch as an entrepreneur. Watch your pitch as well as those of others. You can uh, listen to our uh, questions and our criticisms, and you can watch that as many times as as you want. And if you've ever had the experience of listening to something that you said or watching yourself in a video recording, it can be a very humbling experience. But it really helps uh, uh, the entrepreneur hone their their pitch when when they realize you know what i did waste the first three minutes of that pitch rambling in a story that wasn't interesting (laughs) yeah yeah that's true that's true uh i've seen a lot entrepreneurs actually record their pitches themselves even if it's not provided by their organization it's really nice that you do that for them so is it like an actual pitch where you're considering the investment or is it a pitch where you're just the only purpose of that pitch is that you We'll give them feedback. Yeah, the purpose of our monthly RAW event is strictly the latter, providing feedback to you uh, as to how we would view your your pitch. It is not a pitch for, for, for money. Now, a number of companies that do present at our RAW event uh, do subsequently apply to Sandhill Angels, and we've invited uh, some of those folks in to actually pitch us formally and have invested in several of them. So, uh, it, it is uh, part of our process, but but the principal goal is uh, not to pitch us for money. It's to pitch us for uh, advice and comments on your presentation. And I think a a thoughtful entrepreneur will realize that by crisping up their pitch, not only are they making a better future presentation to investors, but but in fact to their customers as well. Entrepreneurs need to learn how to express the nature of their product in one or two sentences. And going through a, a pitch process actually helps you hone that message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And I'm pretty sure that many of my listeners right now actually want to check that event out. Where, where can we find that? I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Uh, so I'm pretty sure that a lot of my listeners right now will actually want to see 
the recordings of those events, where where can we find it? Is there a YouTube channel that you host, or is it on your website somewhere? Uh, we don't share those recorded videos with anyone outside of the companies that presented to us, uh, but you can sign up to come or even participate in one of our raw events just on our website, so uh, sandhillangels.com. Mm-hmm. All right, Guy, I will definitely include that link in the description in the description of this episode, so if you want to check it out. Uh, check out the description first. <laughs> but here, let's talk about the red flag. So we, uh, we kind of talked about the pitch deck a little bit. Uh, what do you think are the major red flags that you see when the entrepreneur is presenting? In my opinion, a great pitch deck really only needs three slides. There are just three things that you need to, to cover. Everything else flows from that. And those three things are, what is it that you do? And you should be able to express what your company does in, in one slide. The second is, what is your revenue model? How do you make money? Mm-hmm. And the third is, where are you? What level of traction do you have? Uh, how many customers do you have? What's your revenue? Whatever the appropriate metrics are. So I think if you've got those three things covered very, very early on in your presentation, Everything else then is is really just building upon that. So, uh, you know, subsequent uh, discussion about uh, competition, market, the team, the raise, and so forth. None of that matters if I'm not interested in what it is that you do, what's your revenue model, and what your traction is. If you don't have those three bases covered, uh, the rest of it isn't terribly interesting. So I think if you can cover those things uh, right up front in your presentation, you'll get a lot farther uh, than that you will otherwise. It's important to remember that with an angel group, your initial presentation to us is online without you being present. Every angel group works the same way. You're going to upload a pitch deck and maybe some other materials, but a pitch deck uh, to us uh, online, and then folks are going to review it. And so you have to remember, you won't be there to tell your story. Your pitch deck has to tell the story. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to look at 40, 50, 60 pitch decks uh, a month, and we typically do that in a one-week time frame, Mm -hmm. the pitch deck really has to stand out. It can't have 12 slides describing the market and uh, a bunch of screenshots to your solution to the product that go on for six slides. It really needs to grab us in the first few slides. Got it. So... I'm sorry. <clears throat> All right. Um, I was wondering what is the major, what is the, uh, I started doing this, you know, just to entertain uh, my listeners just a little bit. It's uh, what is the weirdest presentation that you've seen? So one of my earliest uh, speakers on fundraising radio said that he saw a couple presentations on teleportation. Do you have some stories like that? Uh, I, I do. Uh, there are. Uh, I'll give you a couple of, for instances, of things that on the surface just sound like crazy ideas that I have personally invested in. Uh, the first is a kitty litter by mail company. They send you a bag of kitty litter uh, every month, uh, just like you would with Dollar Shave Club sending you shaving mm-hmm. supplies. Now, that sounds kind of goofy. How could that possibly uh, work? Uh, I will say, after making the investment, 
they turned uh, profitable immediately and have been growing uh, by leaps and bounds. So it's going to turn out to be one of my most successful investments, uh, I would predict. But, but it comes back down to understanding a couple of characteristics about their consumer that wouldn't be instantly obvious. First, most people don't like carrying 20-pound bags of kitty litter home from the, the grocery store. They'd prefer it just to show up on their, their doorstep. The second is there, there literally is a secret sauce in this uh, kitty litter. The entrepreneur, who's a Harvard Business School uh, graduate, had a cat that died uh, from a disease he didn't know his cat had. So he found a way to infuse kitty litter with a uh, handful of chemicals that turn different colors when the cat urinates on the kitty litter, telling them if they got uh, a liver disease or, or you know, whatever, oh. right? And so you know when it, when it turns these different colors, you need to take your cat to the vet. It's, it's got uh, uh, some issues. So kitty litter by mail. Uh, the next is a company that I just invested in uh, last month called Siren Care. And they make, I kid you not, cyber socks. These are tube socks that you wear on your feet, socks, that come with an app. Now, how cool is that? Now, you might ask, why do I need socks with an app? Well, it turns out they've developed a, uh, a fiber sensor that's woven into the fabric of the sock that detects heat. And it turns out that diabetics in particular have foot problems that turn into uh, ulcerated lacerations that can sometimes lead to amputation. And that uh, is preceded by uh, different temperature patterns. And so mm -hmm. what the app does is tell you if you've got hot spots developing on your feet. And so this really is a uh, temperature sensor medical device is, is what it is. And uh, they have FDA approval uh, for this. It's covered under a uh, uh, Medicare reimbursement code. And uh, they've got about $20 million of um, uh, letters of intent and purchase orders uh, for these. They're starting to manufacture now. So, like I say, on the, the surface, uh, cyber socks, you know, sounds kind of crazy, but it <laughs> turns out that there are these applications for these uh, wacky sounding ideas that, uh, you know, aren't instantly obvious, except once they're explained, uh, that make a ton of sense. That's true. And those do sound like crazy ideas, but I do like those ideas. So thank you for sharing that. And we're moving on to the last question of this episode. And it's this small call to action that I like my speakers to give to my listeners. So what's that one thing that the listeners should do as soon as this episode is over? So something specific like going through LinkedIn connections or following someone on Twitter or reading some specific book on fundraising, what's that one thing that they just you know, have to do as soon as this episode is over? Well, if they are an entrepreneur and they're raising money or considering raising money and are going to go the angel route or the professional VC route if they're far enough along, uh, I really think they need to pay attention to what their pitch deck is saying. Like I say, my big red flag is you see so many of these pitch decks where they spend so much of their uh, time talking about the market and not about the company. And there's an old saying that investors invest in companies, not markets. So make sure your pitch deck tells us about your company, much less so about the market. Mm -hmm. So, you know, don't tell long-winded stories. Uh, don't focus on the market. Uh, if you're pitching in person, don't ping pong between multiple founders. 
just have one person do the uh, entire presentation. So, so my call to action is if you have a pitch deck put together, uh, go run it by several neutral third parties that'll give you honest feedback on it mm -hmm. in terms of how it captures their imagination and put yourself in the perspective of someone like me who does look at, uh, you know, sometimes 40 or 50 pitch decks a month. Uh, and I'm only going to spend a few minutes with each pitch deck. Think about what it takes to capture my attention as opposed to telling your story. Because that's really what you need to do is capture my attention. And so think of it from that perspective, from your reviewers or your audience's uh, perspective. So so I wish I could point you to a a book or a link or um, you know, a sample pitch deck out there, but, but I actually haven't found uh, any that do a particularly good job. You know, even the, uh, 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 you know, the famous ones uh, out there that several VC funds have published. Yeah, the, if you want to get some, you know, some sample, if you have never done pitch deck before, you can just check out Google Y Combinator pitch deck. Uh, they have plenty of great templates to use. And by the way, my personal recommendation, I know that most founders are pretty bad with design. So I highly recommend you hiring someone just to go over the design of your pitch deck. It's not going to cost you much, but it's going to give you significant, significant improvements because the visual appeal is, is really important in that case. And I think, Alan, that was a great call to action and the whole episode was wonderful. I love how we touched onto so many topics at once and still... I hope it didn't sound too confusing to the listeners. So we'll wrap it up here. Thanks a lot for coming up and for taking your time to, to, to share your knowledge and experience in that field. I think that was pretty helpful for our listeners. Thank you. My pleasure.